Hello and welcome to Front Page Radio with your host, international author, broadcaster, and journalist Dan Wooding, the founder of Assist Ministries and the Assist News Service. Dan, who was born in Nigeria of British missionary parents, was raised in England and later worked for some of Great Britain's largest newspapers. He has been a journalist covering the world for some 47 years now with a focus on persecuted Christians and missions. And now, here's Dan Wooding with today's guest. Welcome to today's program, and I am in Manchester, England, at what is called the Christian Resources Exhibition with an old friend, Andy Flanagan. And Andy is deeply involved in politics in Great Britain, especially with Brexit and with all the problems that really has been going on uh, over here. And Andy is also from Northern Ireland. So, first of all, what's the name of the group you with? Hi, Dan. It's great to see you again, sir. Great to see you. Um, yeah, I'm executive director of Christians in Politics. Now, Christians in Politics, what do you exactly do you do? Well, we resource and support and network Christians who are getting actively involved in, in party politics. Uh, people who are involved in parties and people who are involved in none, who, who are independent or who are involved in campaigning. We bring them all together. Um, our kind of mantra is disagreeing well. We bring people together. Um, we're a group of people who put, as we say, a kingdom before tribe. We encourage people to be getting involved in the different political tribes, but we're also training them and encouraging them to not lose their identity to the political tribe, that actually our primary allegiance is to a higher king. And, and that is actually an incredible way of bringing people together, bringing people together from across the political spectrum to pray together, to worship together, uh, to really grapple with scripture together as we try to be salt and light in the midst of the political system. Now, you couldn't be involved at a more controversial time in Britain. Can you explain to um, American listeners to this program what Brexit is and why it's caused such division? Well, in 2016, uh, there was a referendum in the UK, uh, and by a, a small percentage, 50, 51.9 to 42.1, <laughs> it was a very tight vote, 48.1, sorry, um, uh, Britain voted to leave the European Union. Um, and uh, and, the, and over the course of the last two years, the government has been trying to work out how to do that, um, and realising it's not as easy as one might think to do that. So much of our law is tangled up in European law. Um, we're involved in so many international systems and structures uh, via our membership of the European Union. So it's not an easy thing to do. And uh, it would appear that a simple yes-no question didn't really get to the complexities of the issues. So it does leaving mean that we leave the customs union as well? Does leaving mean that we leave the single market as well? Or do we just leave the political entity that is the EU? And all these questions have come up subsequently and politicians and the people are are not really on the same page with regard to all these things so it's a, it's a time of real challenge in the country because people do have very strongly held views on either side of the debate and I guess as Christians in politics we're encouraging people as I said earlier to to disagree well that actually we have a, a real danger in the UK um, that uh, sort of the cultural divide that's been exposed um, by, by this vote, there's a real danger of that sliding towards being a, a cultural chasm uh, where you've got people on one side who read all the same newspapers and, and go to the same conferences and the people on the other side who read all the same different newspapers mm. and go to different conferences and exist in different parts of the country um, and you know and your American listeners will, will understand <laughs> that uh, that scenario that you almost have like two separate cultures uh, ongoing and and in the UK there's, there's a history of, of being able to do good disagreement 
Um, but at the minute, it's very, very difficult. Um, mm. you know, I'm really proud of the believers who are stepping forward and who are being agents of reconciliation, who are bringing politicians together, who in their communities are intentionally stepping across those divides uh, to work with those that they wouldn't agree with on everything, but to build relationship. Um, the longer we've been involved in politics, the, the people in Christians in politics are realizing that you can't just disagree well just by being more polite. <laughs> just by finding different ways to say things that the actually the only way to meaningfully disagree well is to form intentional, strong, deep relationships with people who you might not necessarily agree with on everything. You know, the best arguments and best healthy discussions I have with uh, members of parliament, for example, um, are the ones that I have with the people that I've played five-a-side football with. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the people that you have some shared relationship with so who know each other as human beings. Uh, and that's very difficult to do with social media, very difficult to do from a distance. Um, so I think our call to everyone is to be actively involved in politics because then you meet people face to face. Then you realise that even though we may disagree on this point, that you know we recognise your humanity and we recognise that you maybe have something to say that I might need to listen to. And uh, the humility that comes hopefully from being on our knees in prayer is what's going to be key uh, to the country coming out of the whole Brexit situation. Can you explain this border problem between the north and the south? Because this seems to be one of the big hold-ups at the moment. How did that come about and why is it such a, a difficulty in resolving? Because uh, our presence in the European Union is what allowed the Good Friday Agreement to work. Now explain the Good so Friday Agreement. The Good Friday Agreement, Agreement was signed in the late 90s uh, when, uh, you know, the sort of, I guess... Uh, there was a cessation of paramilitary activity in Northern Ireland, most of it anyway, and, and there was a, you know, a historical agreement signed between the nationalists and the unionists in Northern Ireland, and in conjunction with the, 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 the government in Dublin and the government in London, um, and it's heralded what you might call, what people call the peace dividend. You know, the last two decades in Northern Ireland have been very different to the decades that went before, with so many people dying and so much, so much uh, tribalism, so much. Uh, Separation, people living separately, the sort of stuff we've just talked about in terms of two separate cultures. But um, the peace has allowed people to come together. Um, but being part of the European Union is what allowed that to work because um, with the shared uh, customs authorities of being part of the EU and the shared trade regulations as being part of the EU, that means that even though there is a border between Northern Ireland, which is part of the UK, and the Republic of Ireland, which is a separate country, it means that people are able to move back and forward across that border. And it's a very long, twisty border with over 300, I think about 300 roads that cross that border. And um, when there were checkpoints, when there were customs posts, those are the things that got attacked by the paramilitaries and the terrorists. And, and uh, so nobody wants to see that day return. Um, and also you've got a lot of towns that actually straddle the border and families that straddle the border and, and life has become normal for them in the last two decades. And the last thing that they want to see is having to go back and forth through checkpoints every day to see their families back and forth because, because people live you know, as one uh, in that part of the world. So um, that's why it's a really challenging problem and that's why it's one not just to be swept under the carpet. So at the moment, uh, we hear things like, you know, a hard Brexit and all that. What, what is a hard Brexit? That's, that's talking about leaving uh, the common market, leaving the, uh, you know, the actual trading agreements and leaving the customs union and leaving the customs arrangements, um, uh, you know, that 
basically not staying involved in, in any of those systems or structures. And a soft Brexit would be staying within the common market, staying within the customs union. Uh, economists and politicians are, have very different ideas as to which of those would be most beneficial. But the bottom line is it's very, dif- very difficult to do. It's very difficult to retain. Uh, uh, people have described it. It's like trying to retain the benefits of being part of a club while not being a member of that club. <laughs> one of the famous cartoons, uh, I mean, whether you agree with Brexit or not, one of the funniest cartoons over the past little while has been that of uh, Theresa May making a call um, with her Sky subscription or a TV subscription or a Verizon subscription, it might be in the States, you know, to say, look, we're, we're going to stop our subscription to you, but is it possible to keep watching your movies? Because we really <laughs> like the movies. Oh, and can we keep your sports channel as well, please? You know, so it's that. So Britain is in that state of, you know, thinking, you know, um, we, we realized there were some advantages here, but, you know, if we believe it's an important thing to leave, can we leave some of those things behind? And so, you know, there are vastly differing opinions on that from folks. Um, so that's, that, you know, that's the difference between a soft and a hard Brexit. We, uh, we came back way after the referendum had taken place, and my understanding is that it was England that had the majority, but Northern Ireland, Wales, and Scotland wanted to remain. Is that correct? Um, certainly for Northern Ireland and Scotland, yeah. not not the case for Wales. No. Wales as a whole voted to leave, as as did England. Um, but obviously there's a lot more people live in England, so that has a, a much larger sway because yeah. uh, the vote was taken over the whole of the UK as a whole. Uh, so it is fascinating. You look at the geographical breakdown of who voted leave and who voted remain and why they did that. And again, people have been discussing that for months and months and months ever since the vote as to you know what really inspired that. Was it the economic backdrop? Was it was it the fear of the unknown? Was it you know what 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 actually you know what actually caused that and inspired it? So it's been a real time of reflection in the UK actually, um, and. Uh, it's, I guess it's so important. And the, the, the night after the referendum, I was just with my job with Christians in Politics. I'm asked to speak on radio stations and asked to write articles and do those sort of things. And um, I was very aware in the days after the referendum that, that people were that people were saying, right, now it's time for us to come together. Okay, this has been a very divisive campaign, but now it's time to come together. And, and my point was, well, how can we come together if we never meet? Mm. You know, if we don't actually have relationships with those who disagree with us, if we spend all our time in our little world, in our part of town, with people of our ethnicity, with people of our socioeconomic group, with people who believe what we believe, then how, how will we come together? You can't come together if you don't meet people. This, this value on relationship is, is huge and it's important. And, um, you know, I would go so far as to say that our pattern is the character of God. You know, the Trinity, the nature of God is, is a set of relationships. You know, Father, Son and Holy Spirit in constant intera- loving interaction. So, so if God is a set of relationships, then surely that's the way he calls us to interact as well. Um, that, you know, I, I would even go so far as to say that sometimes the, you know, the, the kingdom of God never moves faster than the speed of relationships that we, we can affect change, but it might not be kingdom change. You know, sometimes God calls us to be involved with people more than just you know, more than just desperately trying to, you know, get them to, to you know, to get bashing through the legislation um, uh, to try and get our way because we've got bigger numbers. When actually, I think sometimes God calls us to a job of persuasion. That we want to persuade people of what we think. We want number one. We want that. That's a way to build relationship, and there's going to be a bit less bitterness if things change. If we persuade people of our way of thinking, of, of a biblical, a biblical worldview, if we persuade people of that, rather than trying to win it 
Um, yes, obviously there comes a time for counting votes, but actually we need to be involved in relationship and persuading, but also because it's not just about getting the right policy through. We want people to come to know Jesus. We, we want people to meet Jesus. And, and that's much more li- likely to happen when we are involved in relationship with people. So they're not just hearing about our policy opinions. They're, they're hopefully able to experience something of Jesus. Um, and that's, again, why relationship building is so important. And uh, you know, Some years ago, I was uh, at the Houses of Parliament and I suddenly saw Martin McGuinness walking towards me. And he was the military commander, I understand, of the IRA, the Irish Republican Army. And uh, here he was going into the British Parliament and I said, could I take your picture, Mr. McGuinness? And he smiled and posed for a picture. This is a man I assume would want to to kill me at one time and now he was sort of you know posing for a photograph and uh, he became very close with Ian Paisley who was the most anti-Catholic person probably in the world at one time how on earth did that happen and and what happened well I'm I'm not sure I would say that Ian Paisley was anti-Catholic because actually you speak to many of his constituents who are Catholic folks and he was an incredible fighter for them. Okay. He had very strong views on, on, on doctrine. He had very yeah. strong views about the Catholic Church. Um, he had very strong views, political views that I wouldn't have shared about, about the north of Ireland. Um, but, you know, the man did care about people. And I think uh, what we saw in, in his latter days and in that relationship with Martin McGuinness was, was, an, was an act of grace. It was, a, it was an incredible thing. It was a thing that brought people together. Those leaders who had been famous for being on like, like diametrically opposite sides, sitting together, laughing together, people started to call them the Chuckle Brothers. <laughs> that, was, that, was what, that was their nickname because they were always laughing together. And they obviously found a shared humanity and obviously found a shared faith. And they found something in each other that they'd never seen. But why did they find that? They found that because they were in relationship. And the ogre and the spectre and the presumption that they previously presumed from a distance changed when they came up close. And my cry to people, if they're listening to this, is to get to know people that you think are the enemy. Get to know people who are on the other side of the fence. Because well, you might find out something surprising. If those, two, if those two people can come and meet together after all the bloodshed, after all the hurt, after all the statements, if those two people can come together, then, then you know, I think any of us can come together. One of the, the saddest parts of uh, social media, Andy, I think, is the, the fact that people just put out propaganda you know, it, this is what I believe, and you either believe it or I'll unfriend you. And there's so much anger, even in the Christian community these days, over disagreements over certain people, the leadership of the the country and all this sort of thing. What is your recommendation to try and heal some of these wounds? Well, I know I'm, I'm going to sound a bit like a stuck record, but I'm going to say that word again. It's It's relationship. You can't disagree well without meaningful relationship. And so the, the Ian Paisley, Martin McGuinness example is, is the perfect example of that, that actually you can be a diametrically opposing sides, but if you build relationship with people, you come to know, you can come to know, yes, you'll still see what you disagree with, yes, you'll still see the stuff that annoys you, but you'll start to pick up on their humanity, you'll start to pick up on what you share as, as a child of God. You're both made in the image of God. And the problem with these silos that social media creates when we just, you know, social media is designed for us to see stuff that we agree with. 
It's not designed. Those people are just trying to sell us stuff. <laughs> so they see what we click on, they see what we like, and they'll just send us more of that same stuff because they think we'll buy more of that stuff that we like. And that, sadly, in the world of politics, that's really toxic because it means we end up reading stuff that we think is from a widespread, but actually it's just reinforcing what we already think. Mm. And that's why we have to come offline, get away from our screens, where we tend to be ruder, when we tend to be more angry, it tends to be late at night when we're getting hacked off after a long day, and we need to get politically involved to actually meet people from the other side of the fence and to meet other people who maybe don't share our beliefs, because then we are we are able to be salt and light. We are able to influence. My bath has never got cleaner by me standing outside it and saying, be clean. <laughs> it's, it's, it's only got cleaner when I got involved and actually got stuck in and scrubbed it. <laughs> yeah, as Christians, we just sit and commentate. And social media is one of the easiest ways to commentate. And, and, and people who are commentating, you know, they're, you know I, the easiest way I can describe it is we, you see, imagine you're sitting in the stands watching your team playing, you know, watching an American football team playing or watching a British soccer team playing. And, and you see the wide receiver, you know, getting his roots wrong. You see, you see him, you know, making mistakes. You see the quarterback doing something he shouldn't be doing. And, and you start shouting. You say, ah, stop doing that. Come on, stop dropping back. Stop, stop, throw it faster. You know, whatever, whatever your, you know, encouragement is. Um, but the reality is he can't hear you. And you're frustrated that your shouting from a distance from the stands doesn't actually have an influence. But then at half time, that person gets in the huddle with whether it's the offensive coordinator or the defensive coordinator or the head coach. They're coming in, they get in a huddle and he spotted what's going wrong as well. And he says exactly the same thing that you were saying, but it has an impact. It has an influence and it changes something and your team come out and they win in the second half. And you're thinking, ah, oh, you know, why didn't he do that earlier? And what's the difference between your advice and the advice of the head coach? Nothing. You've said exactly the same thing, but he has the relationship. <laughs> he is whispering from up close, whereas you're shouting from a distance. And when you shout from a distance, you get angrier. <laughs> and when you're working up close, you actually build relationship with people. Yeah. So my call to people is to get involved. Don't shout from a distance. Don't shout on social media. You're not going to persuade anybody. There are very few examples of people being persuaded and strong relationship being built through social media you need to get involved on the ground in politics and meet real people do you actually go into the british houses of parliament and work with some of the uh, the politicians yes i was there most of yesterday actually it was a historic day it was the the vote was happening in the evening theresa may trying to get her withdrawal agreement passed again Yesterday, so the, it was a it was a very busy day. Lots of cameras, lots of reporters, uh, on all the MPs there. Lots of people coming to meet. Lots of people expressing their will. It was it was an incredible day to be there. It was a real privilege to be there yesterday, and it was great to remind people that I was praying for them and to have the odd conversation here and there. And that's you know that intentional loitering <laughs> is really important. Um, you know, some beautiful things have been happening, even in the midst of the what. What looks like chaos, you know, people have become Christians in recent weeks, um, and so you know that's good to report. And 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 there are incredible works of reconciliation, both within the parties and across the parties, between the parties, by some of the Christians who are involved, the Christians who are coming together to pray with one another, um, who are setting up meetings, who are bringing their friends together. You know, reconciliation can only happen when somebody makes the first move and sticks their neck out and straddles that gap. Because you're pretty exposed when you're in that gap. And when you're on social media, you're very exposed if you're not in the safety of your tribe. And, um, and uh, you know, I, 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 really, I really firmly believe 
that we will see in the coming weeks and months the importance of some of the reconciliation work, the very Christ-like reconciliation work that some of the leaders have been doing in there. It, it reminds me uh, of what um, uh, theologians often say about uh, parenting. You know, it, that they say that there are moments in life where, as a parent, you know that things need to stay the same. <laughs> you know, you need to make a conservative response to a situation. And there are moments in life where things need to change. There are moments in parenting where things need to change, where you need to make a, a progressive response, you might say. And, and similarly in politics, there are all these issues that come along, and there's a real danger that if we don't stop and reflect and take time to read Scripture, take time to pray, in any given situation, we can respond with just the knee-jerk response of our tribe, be that a progressive tribe or a conservative tribe, that we can just respond with the knee-jerk reaction rather than taking time to reflect. And, you know, I, I would say, like, in parenting, you do need to take time to reflect. And sometimes sometimes you'll say, you'll say this to your child, sometimes you'll say that, sometimes you'll keep things the same, sometimes things need to change. But, you know, I believe it's the same in politics. And we get into real trouble when we just start replying with the knee-jerk tribal reaction rather than taking time to reflect, to read Scripture, to breathe and take some time. And so... So we don't. We need. We need to be in those tribes to be influencing them. But it's really important that we don't lose our identity to those tribes. What about people who just blindly forward, you know, what I call propaganda stuff that is not true? They haven't even checked it out. They just forward stuff. What would you say to people who just seem to spend their time sending angry messages that they've got from a friend who assured me this is true and? Of course, you check it out and it isn't true. Yeah, I think this comes back to the nobility of your profession, Dan, the nobility of, of journalism, that actually there are some real values in the, in, the, in, the, in the strong traditions of journalism. There are some values about checking sources and about making sure things are true before you publish them and, and making sure things are balanced before you publish them. And you've always done an amazing job doing that in your journalism. And the, the fact is we, we, we should be looking for respected journalists to hear our stuff from, you know, we should be looking for sources um, that where where we know the sources have been checked. That we sh- we, sh- we need to check. So this this is the reason that we you know it's very easy, it's so easy to just slag off the media inverted commas as if they're all the one thing, but we do but we do have to honour the profession of, of journalism. That is how we hear our news. That is how we hear our information, and and you know it's really important to hear our news from accountable organisations that actually are fact-checking, that actually are checking their sources. Um, and, and then, But then when, when, when there's something new, there may well still be stuff that we disagree that mm-hmm. that media organisation has said, but at least they are an actual organisation. They are accountable. They are present, as opposed to you know this video clip that we saw here or this thing we saw here. There's so much stuff that is now intentionally being created by those who are trying to cause mischief, you know, both in Britain and the rest of Europe and in the States. People are trying to bring that division. And so we need to be really careful with what we read. We need to be prayerful with what we read. But we need to check back to see, is it from a trusted source where people actually have values and traditions in, in real journalism? There are lots of kind of muddying of the waters in terms of blogs and websites where, to be honest, the people that are organising them have a political agenda rather than just reporting the news. Now, that's not easy to do in this day and age, but we need to keep honouring those who are actually trying to do real journalism. I'm sure over the years that you've had some setbacks and some discouragements and that, has there ever been a time you just wanted to give up and 
live a normal life? <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, there have been lots of setbacks. I mean, there have been some glorious things have happened where you just see a move of God. You see somebody transformed. You see somebody's thinking transformed. You see really good moments of legislation. But there's also been times where I've just been thinking, oh, what are we doing? Where are we going? Um, and, you know, uh, to this time in British history is, is very challenging as well. But do I ever feel like giving up? No, I really don't. I really don't. I, because you know, our call into this work is not based on circumstances. You know, our, our call is not based. This is not a theology of oh, we just need to sort out the world. This is a, we sit under a theology of of divine vocation of calling. You know, we sometimes forget that. The, the call for Adam and Eve to be stewards of the earth in Genesis chapter 1 happened before the fall. It happened before the fall. Even even perfection needed managed, it would appear. Mm. And, and therefore, our, our call into public leadership and our call into politics is not just about sorting out the problems. It's actually, it's, it's a call to image our God. It's a call to image our creator God and exercise his rule and reign as we believe we will do so forever in the new heavens, in the new earth. So it's, it's deeper and broader than the circumstances. It's, it's a holy calling. And so you just don't run away from that when times are tough, when things don't seem to be going well. It's not just a pragmatic get things sorted. And that, that's why the importance of, I guess, our, our training and our teaching for the Christians who are getting involved, that they have a strong biblical theological spine to why they're involved, which means that when things do go wrong, that they won't just go, oh, well, this wasn't worth it. And they'll just you know, be swept away by the wind. Um, that actually people know that it's not just about results in the here and now. It's about imaging our God. It's about honoring him. And uh, so, yes, that's a, that's a long answer to the question. You know, um, do I ever feel like giving up? No, absolutely not. I feel a really strong call of God into this work. And uh, whatever happens, I don't, I don't see that changing. Andy Flanagan, thank you so much. That's a pleasure. Lovely to see you, sir. You have been listening to Front Page Radio with international journalist Dan Wooding. If you would like a free subscription to the Assist News service, log on to www.assistnews.net. And if you would like to write to Dan, send an email to assistnews at aol.com. Tune in again for another edition of Front Page Radio on this same station.